0: You may be seated. Looks like the Lord is actually going to let me preach this sermon this morning. So this is where we'll be. And I want to encourage you to take your little blue sheet insert there. Because at the bottom, if you did not uh, have a chance to be with us last week, we began to roll out to the congregation our new vision and mission statement. I hope on the way in that you got a magnet that has that on there that you can put on your fridge And be reminded for the next few years where the Lord is taking us and what he's doing. If you didn't get one of those, grab one of those on your way out. But this is where we are heading for the next few years. So just to remind you what we shared last week, the vision of Trinity is to be a dynamic fellowship that loves Jesus Christ. And which unites cultures and generations through the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel. To transform individuals, families, and communities. That's what we believe we are, and it's what we believe we're becoming over the next few years. It's a both and. We see those things reflected in our congregation now, and we see those things coming. That's what the Lord has promised to us. And our mission is how we're going to get there. The repeatable things we'll do again and again as a body that, if done well and done right, And it will get us to our vision. So our mission is to make disciple-makers who are committed to gathering, just like you're doing this morning, for the teaching of the Word, prayer, worship, and fellowship, and then scattering for service, ministry, and proclaiming the gospel from Western Florence to the ends of the earth. And this morning, we're going to focus in on that piece of our mission statement that talks about making disciple-makers. We've already touched on this a little bit. And I promised you that from time to time we would revisit this and circle back to this idea of what it means for us as individuals to become disciple makers and also for us to in turn build that into the lives of others. So I want to give you uh, a couple verses to add to your notes. They're not in your notes, uh, but I feel like these are great verses to kind of orient us to the idea of being disciple makers. The first is out of Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 verse 28 and 29 and in it Paul talks about his focus and his mission as a follower of Jesus Christ what his goal is and this is what he says Paul says we proclaim him meaning Jesus we proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that in all things we might perfect everyone in the things of Christ to this end we labor Struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in us. So, Paul's communicating listen, my goal is to see every person I meet perfected in the things of Christ, to become perfected into the image of Christ. And I'm going to continue to struggle with all the power of the Holy Spirit until that's accomplished. So it was not just enough to see someone enter into salvation. It was not just enough to see them connected into a community of faith. Paul says we need to be spurring each other on until we reach spiritual perfection, which we know is not going to happen on this side of heaven, but it doesn't mean that we don't embrace obedience and strive to spur each other on to love and good deeds here on this side of things. Paul says, listen, that's my goal. I throw all of my weight behind that. The second is out of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And Paul is talking to his young disciple, Timothy, who he poured his life into. He sent Timothy to the city of Ephesus. You may remember the book of Ephesians, right? Paul writes that letter to that community of faith to encourage them in the faith. And after Paul leaves, he spent two and a half years in Ephesus building into that community. And after he left... He left behind Timothy to continue as the pastor and the minister there. The books of 1 and 2 Timothy are written to Timothy in Ephesus to encourage his ministry there. And this is what Paul commands Timothy to do. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. So Paul said, you heard me say things teach you things teach you how to minister I want you to take everything you heard from me and I want you to entrust it to reliable people who will then be able to entrust that to others as well in other words I developed you as a disciple of Christ I want to see you develop disciple makers who can then make disciples after them Paul had in mind at least four generations of discipleship do you see that him Timothy timothy's disciples and then the disciples of timothy's disciples and we want to keep that in our dna here at trinity that we want to make disciples who will outlast us who will take the gospel and discipleship far beyond us after they preach my funeral baby i want people making disciples after me and you should want that too And as a church, we should want to see the ones in our nursery right now leading the charge in 30 years down the road, leading people in the kingdom of God to grow up in their faith and to come to salvation. And we're going to start right here in 2021, continuing to orient ourselves in that. Now, here's one of the problems with vision statements and mission statements. I can add something to it, but if we don't have a common language and a common understanding of what we mean when you use phrases— then we don't know what we're shooting for right so today we want to break down this idea of what a disciple maker is okay and what their characteristics are what scripture teaches us about that because that's the only way you and i are going to know are we hitting the mark or not for the next couple years are you with me So I want to encourage you always to take notes just so you can go back and study these on your own. But this morning, this just is going to have some really crucial information for us as far as making disciple makers. And I encourage you to write some things down so you can follow along there. Let's go ahead and flip to the right in your Bible to 1 John chapter 1. I figured we'd just go to an authority on discipleship and disciple making, and that is the Apostle John so john of course writes first second and third john he wrote the gospel of john he wrote the book of revelation what we know about john is he was one of those 12 original disciples right that jesus handpicks and pours into for three and a half years then jesus dies on the cross and if you didn't know this of all the 12 apostles only one was at the cross that was john when john wrote his gospel one of the ways that he referred to himself is the disciple whom jesus loved talking about the depth of his friendship and relationship with jesus you also see in all the gospels this trend that continues and it's this although jesus had 12 who followed him all over the place there seems to be this group of three peter james and john who jesus invested in especially to accomplish things for the kingdom he took them places he didn't take the other nine. They saw things nobody else saw. Do you remember the transfiguration when Jesus goes up on the mountainside and his clothes are, begin to shine brightly like the sun it talks about? where no one can look at it. And then spiritually, like Moses appears and Elijah appears, and they start having this conversation with Jesus. Only three of the disciples were there. It was Peter, James, and John. So there, there are insights that John has that other disciples just didn't have. And what's interesting, of all the disciples, only one uh, wasn't violently killed, and that was John. Now, starving to death on the island is pretty violent to me, but that's not the classification of what violent is when it comes to martyrdom. So John dies on the island of Patmos, which is where we get the book of Revelation. It was the revelation that God gave to John through the Holy Spirit while he was on Patmos. And the real—think about how sadistic and cruel Rome was. You see, as John— age in his ministry you have paul who founds the church at ephesus he sends timothy to follow him and the church history tells us that john came into the city after timothy and pastored and discipled that city there you know where patmos is patmos is right off the coast of the city of ephesus in fact on patmos you can see across the water and you can see ephesus Why exile of all the place that they could exile while exiling there? They wanted him to sit on the shore every single day and see how close he was to everyone that he cared about and loved and know how exactly far away he was for the rest of his life. Isn't Rome really creative? And you know when John writes one of the last chapters of Revelation, Revelation 21, he starts to talk about what heaven is like? And he talks about the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem coming down from God. You know, he has this really interesting little line in there. This is what he says. And there was no longer any sea. And when you think about that, you're saying to yourself, are, are you saying there's, there's no water in heaven? You know, guess what heaven was for John? No more ocean. Separating me from the people I poured my life into. For some of you, that would be heaven too. No more separation from the people you've loved, you've cared about, you've lost years ago. Where did that heart come from for John? It came from hands-on, life-on-life, handcrafting, disciple after disciple after disciple until they were his children. Until they were his children. So I want you to understand as we talk about And learn from really one of the masters of handcrafting disciples. This is the man we're talking about today. So, in 1 John chapter 1, as he begins, I want you to see where his authority comes from. He always starts with his authority. Listen to this 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. Which we've seen with our eyes. Which we've looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life. Which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. So that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. 1 John was most likely written to some of these little house churches that had grown up around the city of Ephesus. You see, it starts in this little community that Paul founds. Timothy builds it out into more and more places. And then by the time John comes along, now it's this growing area, but it's this area that has begun to be torn apart by conflict. They're arguing about who Jesus is. And some are believing things about Jesus that weren't true. And so John, as one who saw Jesus and knew Jesus and had discipled people in who Jesus was, is now writing this letter because he cannot stand that the enemy has come and he has twisted the image of Jesus in the followers of Christ and so as he begins this is what he says i'm not just anybody my eyes saw him my hand touched him so in the last supper when he was passing out the bread i, I was leaning on his chest i heard his heartbeat scripture tells us it was john that asked jesus who's going to betray you and Jesus tells him it'll be Judas. He says, I I touched him. I saw him. I know. Because I experienced Jesus. I was his follower. And I've taught you to be his follower too. So, disciples and disciple makers are familiar with, With the ways of Jesus. This is the first thing. Disciple makers are familiar with the ways of Jesus. John was familiar with the ways of Jesus. He was so familiar that when heresy raised its head in that church, John could write a letter and say, This is right. This is wrong. This is true. This is false. Because I know Jesus. I know him. I know him. Brothers and sisters, you and I, we have to dedicate our life to becoming familiar with Jesus. We're his followers. We have to know what we're following. I am so impressed by some of you. I sit down and I have lunch and I have breakfast with you and I am stunned what you know. I am stunned at how I can go and hang out with a youth group and teach a lesson and they're learning things in high school that I was learning in college. That that stuns me. It's weird for me to sit at the dinner table after I've helped my son with his homework and figure out he's learning things in third and fourth and fifth grade that I learned in high school. It's, it's a strange time. I've talked to some of you about your job and I'm stunned at how you uh, just hone your craft how you're always learning, how you're reading, how you're listening to podcasts, you're talking with people, you're taking people out to lunch, you're sitting with your managers, you're trying to grow up in your skill set, you're learning those things. I'm amazed at like your push to know the things in your job to be better at that. I was having, uh, I was swimming in a pool the other day with one of our members, and we were talking about him using his nine-to-five job every day so that he can learn and prepare for what he wants to do for the rest of his life. He's like, I'm not going to keep doing this. I'm not going to keep doing this. This doesn't have purpose. This is just a job right now. But it's letting me prepare for the purpose. And I was like, praise God. I love how we prepare ourselves to be the best of the best and the most educated. That's all an amazing drive. Here's what we have to add to that. You ready? Here's what we have to add to that. We have to learn to be familiar with Jesus. We have to develop our familiarity with Jesus. And we do that through the Word of God. The more we know the Word, the more we know Jesus. If you're not sure where, let me me tell you where to start. You ready? Go read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And once you're finished with those four, I want you to go read two passages in Paul Philippians chapter 2. You can read the whole chapter but especially verses 5 through 11 that talks about the servant that he was and the sacrifice that he made for you and me. And then I want you to go read Colossians chapter 1. And I want you to read verses 15 through 23. And I want you to see what Paul in the revelation of the Holy Spirit tells us about Jesus that none of the Gospels told us. You go read the Gospels and you go read those two passages. You're going to be fine, okay? Then you could go read the rest of the Bible. Don't stop there. Go read the rest. But start if you want to become familiar with Jesus. Start there. It's so important for us to know what he said and what he didn't say. Barna said not too many years ago the most popular verse in all of Scripture was, "God helps those who help themselves," which is not in the Bible. But boy, it's a popular verse. How are we going to be familiar with Jesus if we don't know what he said? Or if we think we know what he said? We have to know what he said. We have to know what he did. We have to know who he loved and how he treated people and where he didn't go and where he did go. And We have to be familiar with the ways of Jesus. And once we've got into the word, then here's what we do. We take it to our knees and pray and we begin to pray and ask Jesus to build into us what God the Father developed in him to make us more like him. And then we begin to worship and praise him for the things that has been revealed to us. And what worship does is it begins to transform us because as we worship Jesus, it's hard to worship the things of the world. And when we take our eyes off the world, then we begin to see Jesus more clearly. We must become familiar with the things and the ways of Jesus. But look at verse 5 because John keeps going this is the message we've heard from the beginning and declare to you God is light and in him there is no darkness at all if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness we lie and do not live out the truth but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all Sin Disciple makers are not just familiar with the ways of Jesus. They are engaged with the mission of Jesus. They're engaged with the mission of Jesus. John said that what we know, we passed on to you. Who Jesus was, what he did, what he did to transform us. He was about the mission of Jesus right up until the day he died on that island. Again and again, he was pouring into the kingdom of God, the people of God. He was engaged with the mission of god and you and i i've seen you you are engaged with the mission of god i'm amazed again at the creativity you have to be engaged with the mission of god the way you're loving people the way you pray for people the way you use your skills and talents to build the kingdom all over florence and the world i'm astounded at the influence and reach that some of you have some of you have more influence among people who don't know jesus than i will ever have i feel like i have to sit at your feet sometimes I talk to you about how you do it. It's astounding to me. But we have to learn how to hone that and continue to be focused on the mission of Jesus. We're familiar with his ways, and there's no way you could become familiar with his ways without knowing what he did as well. I mean, Jesus went to people that nobody else would, would go to, he taught the people who were broken. He he touched lepers to heal them. He was around children when back in that culture, nobody valued children. There were women that he ministered to that back in that day, women weren't valued. He picked people to be his disciples who were some of the biggest losers of that culture by cultural standards, and he picked them. He picked terrorists, and he picked tax collectors, and he picked fishermen, and he brought them all together. Jesus had a mission and a plan, and he was laser focused on it. We have to be engaged with the mission of Jesus too. I want to say something to you there are things in the kingdom that you have been handcrafted to accomplish and if you don't go do them jesus is going to get them done through somebody else because he's faithful he's faithful but he wants you to do them he he wants you to get the joy and the pleasure of seeing things transform for the kingdom when you step up and use your giftings and your callings and the empowerment he's placed in you to build the kingdom There's nothing like it. Now keep going in verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, and I love this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his words, and his word is not in us. Disciple makers are not only familiar with the ways of Jesus, and not only engaged with the mission of Jesus, disciple makers are committed to the character of Jesus. They are committed to the character of Jesus. Meaning, we are committed to obey him in every area he points out to us until we become more and more and more and more like him and I want to say a hard word to us you ready church here's a hard word the reason that the church has lost its name in our world is that we have become familiar with the ways of Jesus and we have set out to do the mission of Jesus but we have not cultivated the character of Jesus we have not walked in this world in purity We have not walked in this world in gentleness and humility. We have not walked in this world in truth and committed to that. We have not walked in this world in faithfulness. And so when we have set out to do the mission of Jesus without the character of Jesus, the world sees it for what it is. And they say things like this. Why would I begin to follow Jesus if I'm just going to end up like you? That's a hard word for us. We have to be as committed to the character of Jesus just like we're committed to the mission of Jesus as well. And the last characteristic of a disciple I want you to see in Matthew chapter 28. So flip to the left in your Bible. And if you hadn't figured this out, we're going to be hitting this one again and again and again and again when it comes to making disciple makers. Matthew 28, verse 18 through 28. I want to encourage you to flip there. You know this? Jesus has been resurrected from the dead, he meets with his disciples and the very first thing he says to them after he is back from the dead Matthew twenty eight eighteen through twenty. Then Jesus came to them and said, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything." I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. Last thing, disciple makers are obedient to the command of Jesus. We don't just know his ways. We don't just engage with his mission. We don't just develop his character. We're obedient to this command to go and make other disciple makers. We are to be obedient to that. And what does that look like? I want to break it down as simply as I can just from this. Just five things that we undertake as the work of disciple makers. You ready? Number one, disciple makers walk in Jesus' authority. We talked about this a few weeks ago. That because I'm a child of God, I've been bought, bought by the blood of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in me. There are spiritual authorities that I have as a husband, as a father. As a worker, as a pastor in this church, as a teaching elder, there are authorities that I have that God gives me so that through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can turn the forces of darkness back and I can advance the kingdom of God day in and day out wherever he sends me to go. Just this morning, I was spending time in the Word, I was praying, and the enemy absolutely came after me this morning overwhelm me with all kinds of discouragement have my mind on a thousand different things and you know what i had to do i had to stand in my authority and it was something like this i had to say listen i am a bloodbought child of the living god i'm adopted into his family i didn't earn it but it was given to me and i'm a co-heir with jesus christ on top of that this church on this property voted me in to be the pastor of this church so i have spiritual authority on this property Not only that, I'm a husband of Heather Walton. I'm the father of Knox and Karis Walton. And I'm a child of the living God. And I do not permit you to attack me physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually in the name of Jesus. Now I want to tell you, everything just lifted off of me and it was all good. I want to tell you, it took about a half hour. It took about a half hour. But the enemy likes to do that. He likes to monkey with us. And... I think it would make sense to you why he would want to mess with me this morning because he wants to mess with what i'm going to say here and he wants to mess with me shaking your hand and me wanting to be in sunday school he wants to mess with that he doesn't do it every sunday morning but he does it enough he does it enough and we have to be ready to walk in our authority and say, this is who I am. By the way, I didn't come up with that. This is Scripture. This is who God has allowed me to be by His grace. And I'm going to stand in this. I'm going to stand it in my home. I'm going to stand it in my workplace. I'm going to stand it in my neighborhood. I'm going to stand it in uh, Chick-fil-A when I'm in line. It's not today because they're closed. But tomorrow, if I go to Chick-fil-A, I'm going to stand in my authority there because the kingdom of God needs to go into Chick-fil-A. Just It needs to go in this room. And God's commissioned you and me to go do it. We go in authority. Disciple makers walk in Jesus' authority. Number two, they evangelize the lost. That means they tell people who do not know the goodness of Jesus, do not know his ways, do not know his character, do not know his mission. We go and we tell them about the wonderful things that Jesus Christ has done for us, especially how he has saved you and me from our darkness and our sin and our past and how he's given us purpose, and how he can give them purpose too. That's called evangelism. It's called evangelism. And we've not done a good job. I'll totally tip my cards to you. As, as leaders here at Trinity, we've not done a good job in equipping you to share your faith verbally like that. But we're working. We're going to we're get there. That's part of the vision. If you look on your old magnet, so that we can proclaim the good news of Jesus from Western Florence to the ends of the world. We're committed to evangelizing the lost. Number three, Once they evangelize lost, they baptize those who respond. Every once in a while, every time you share the gospel, people are not going to respond, but sometimes you share the gospel, and they do. And when they respond, that's your cue, that you have to help them become a disciple maker just like you are. And the first step of discipleship for any believer in Jesus Christ, the number one step, is to be baptized. It's to be baptized. You know what's interesting about the step of Baptism. Uh, In almost every other form of obedience that we have It requires obedience again and again and again and again for instance If i'm struggling with obedience and how to use my money for the kingdom of god I can walk into the sanctuary today and I can walk in obedience and I can I can give the lord what he's commanded to put in my heart for this week And you know next week I can wrestle with that obedience again, right? I mean you've been there you know one of the obediences that we can undertake that you'll never have to worry about again? Go get baptized. Because if you will obey Jesus and get baptized, that's something you checked off your list forever. You're never struggling with baptism again. It's the first step of entering into a relationship with Jesus after we've responded to the gospel. We obey in first things. Why does he make that the first step? Here's what I have found. Things continue and progress as they begin. They progress as they begin. And if we begin with one step of obedience and knock it out, we've got a better shot of progressing in the next step of obedience after that. If you've never been baptized... We have two people that are going to be baptized in the next couple weeks. We've already got it set up. They are responding to discipleship right now, and, and they understand they need to be baptized. If you like to be baptized, just come see your pastor. I'll make it happen. If you've never been baptized, this is a first step of obedience for you as a disciple maker. Number four, after we baptize them, we teach them to obey. We Teach them to obey. What do we teach them to obey? Everything. Everything Jesus taught us to obey. We teach them everything. And which means, get this? I have to learn to obey too, because I don't have every area in my life sewed so away either. It's hard to talk to Will and say, Will, you need to obey Jesus in this area when I'm not obeying Jesus in that area, right? It calls me to continue to grow. We command people to obey everything Jesus has said. And number five the work of disciple-makers, they stay intimately connected to Jesus. And when Jesus gave that command and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. Here's the last thing he said. And lo, I'm with you always. Always. You know what that promise is? That's a promise of intimate connection and friendship with us. We are his servants, but we're not just his servants. We are his missionaries and his ministers, but we're not just that. We're his friends. We're his friends. And I'll be honest with you, every single time in my life that I've gotten weary doing his work, it's because I pulled away from his friendship. But every time I am intimately connected in him in real depth, I love to go do the work of the Lord. I love doing the work of the Lord. Do you see the cycle? We become familiar with Jesus, we engage with the ministry of Jesus, we commit to the character of Jesus. We obey the commands of Jesus, which then feeds it all over again. Because we become more familiar with the ways of Jesus, deeper in the mission of Jesus. It's this beautiful, self-fulfilling cycle that propels us forward in the kingdom. That's what we're committed to here at Trinity. We're starting small. We're trying to figure out how to do this right and do it well. But we're calling you to grow as a disciple maker. Our praise team is going to come. They're going to lead us in a final song. As we do that, this is a chance for us to search our heart. Where are we at in that cycle? Where are we at in our pursuit of the Lord? Are we pursuing him as a disciple maker? Have we set that to the wayside? Are we just going through the motions? Maybe we've stopped committing to the character of Jesus. Maybe we're still doing the mission of Jesus and have neglected the character of Jesus. Today is a day to repent and renew ourselves to that again. This is our chance to respond in any way that the Lord leads us. Let's stand and respond.